So, I mean, if you have debt and your hair is burning, your only priority is to put that fire out. And if that means living on beans and rice and two-minute noodles, you know, live on beans and rice and two-minute noodles. It means cycling to work, you cycle to work. Um, but if you've got no debt and you you managed to avoid that trap, I think uh, the next biggest expense for most people is actually their car. Um, it's even more of an expense than a house because uh, cars depreciate really fast and a house, you know, at least hold its value. My name is Diana and this is the Family Finance Show the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week, we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt, and investing for the future. What is life without goals? Elevate Life provides you with the tools and education to meet your wellness and financial goals and rewards you for doing so. Hi, Patrick, and welcome to the show. We are talking about such a cool topic today, which is tips for achieving financial freedom. Thanks. Thanks, Anna. Very good to be here. So maybe let's start with um, what it was about this goal of financial freedom that motivated you. I think with any goal in life, we have to be motivated to achieve it because otherwise it's, it, it holds very little meaning for us. So what, what, what meaning did the goal of financial freedom hold for you? <laughs> it was actually uh, quite strange because I didn't have financial freedom as a goal. Um, I was working as a programmer for quite a few years and uh, eventually I joined the uh, contracting world and I actually had very, very bad job security contractors. You know, you get hired for a three-month contract or a two-month contract or if you're lucky, a six-month contract. And then, uh, then the job disappears and you've got to live on what, you, what you've saved. Um, so that's, that's what got me into the whole saving thing. So I thought, okay, well, if I can save half my salary, you know, if I work for three months, I can, I can survive another three months while I'm looking for something. It was only quite a few years later that I, I learned about sort of the financial freedom movement and FIRE and, you know, I discovered Mr. Money and Moustache. And I realized, hey, I've been doing this all my life. I just didn't know what it was. Um, but the one thing that did kind of stick with me is, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've watched Forrest Gump by now, um, but uh, Baba invests him in a food company, which is Apple, and it goes berserk. And obviously, you know, he gets told that um, they don't need to worry about money anymore. And he thinks, great, that's one less thing. Mm-hmm. And and that was part of my motivation as well, you know, is worrying about less things. So. Not, not needing to worry about money is, is a huge plus. And I think for me, that's the, that's the ultimate. Uh, that's the reason why I've gone this route is, uh, you know, not needing to worry about money and being able to sort of have choices in life. And that's what I'm after. Yeah, worrying about money is just so bad for your mental health. So if, if that worry is, <laughs> is no longer, you, you're a much happier person in general, I yeah, find. Yeah, totally. So this goal of, of financial freedom or, or FIRE, which stands for uh, Financially Independent Retire Early, I think, um, it's very simple <laughs> yeah. to understand, right? I mean, it's it's not, uh, you don't need to have a degree in finance to understand what it's about, but it is very hard to achieve. What did you find the hardest part of your journey to financial freedom? <laughs> I think the, the fact that you see nothing happening for such a long time, you know, I mean, you're saving, you're saving, you're saving, you're saving, but things are going, growing so slowly, you know, so there's a lot of waiting involved. Mm. Um, but that's just the way compounding works. I mean, you, you know, you, you do watch virtually nothing happen. So for years, you poor, you poor, you poor, you poor, 
and then bam, one day you wake up and you're rich, you know, and that's just what it, what it looks like. Um, Warren Buffett's got a great chart. Somebody's actually plotted his uh, sort of investment value over, over his whole lifespan. And if you look at the chart, I mean, okay, he's still quite wealthy. You know, he's got like half a million, a million, two million, three million, four million. But the chart literally explodes in his late 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. But that's just how, you know, compounding works. It looks like nothing happens for ages. Um, but it's all building up to this whole big acceleration at the end. Um, and, I, yeah, I think the waiting is the hard part and just sticking with it, you know. So you're knowing that, okay, in 20 years' time, this is all going to be worthwhile. But at the moment, it doesn't look like anything's going on. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's I think that's the, the hardest part is to, to remain self-motivated while <laughs> you're in the beginning yeah. stages. Like it's, it's super tough. Yeah. Super tough. Yeah. So Patrick, yeah, it is you've... it is a lot easier when sorry it is a lot easier when things sort of start accelerating. I mean, you reach points where you know you can start. Uh, if you look at your dividend checks in the beginning, you know you get a one dividend or a three rand dividend, or a, you know if you're lucky a hundred rand dividend. But eventually, you start getting dividends in the thousands and then the ten thousands of rand at a time. Then you know things are really moving along nicely. Yeah, exactly. It must be such a rewarding feeling to to see that happening eventually, like all your hard work paying yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, Patrick, you've you've spoken um, before. I, I listened to a Twitter space and and on your blog, you've spoken about achieving financial freedom. When did you achieve financial freedom? And can you tell the, our listeners a bit about your journey to achieving financial freedom? Um, yeah, so I think it was a, around about 2017, 2018. Um, so you know, I've, I've been I've been saving half my salary since I started working. Um, and there's, there's some very simple maths that just says, you know, if you save 50% of your salary, it'll only take you 17 years and you'll be financially independent. And, and the great thing is that the maths is right. You know, literally for 17 years, I saved half my salary. And then I try to try to work out uh, if I had enough. And I, it turned out 17 years later, yeah, my investments can now cover my living costs quite happily. Um, so that was pretty much uh, when it happened. I did, I did have some, you know, I, I made some really terrible choices in investments. Uh, I spent quite a few years in the beginning and uh, not knowing anything at all about investments. So I, I basically just banked my my savings. So all of my money was going into a bank account. I was with the the blue bank, and I pay. I got paid zero percent interest, which was a terrible thing. And uh, in fact, it was worse because I paid them a couple hundred rand a month in, in business charges and sorry, in banking fees. Um, but yeah, so I spent years, I can't remember how many it was, uh, let me work it out quickly, probably about four or five years actually just putting money in my bank account. Um, so there was no growth at all. Uh, then I thought, okay, no, I, this is stupid. I'm being crazy here. I need to sort of get my money under control. And I, I looked around and the best investor in that sort of I knew in my family was my grandmother. And she she was a music teacher and she bought a bunch of houses and she lived off the rent. And I thought, that's the answer. That must be it. Uh, so I tried to copy her and I, I bought a townhouse and uh, I bought another and then I bought a small house in a complex and eventually I owned three houses. And I thought, yeah, that's me. I'm going to be perfectly set in life. Um, and it was only later that I learned about the stock market and I, I did some maths on the houses I've earned and uh, none of them had really appreciated in value, especially not when you consider inflation and definitely not when you consider sort of all the, the costs involved with owning a house and maintaining it and, uh, and all the rest. So, um, 
eventually I sold all the houses because I knew how it wasn't a great investment. I did the maths afterwards and uh, out of the three properties, I, I lost money on two and I broke even on one. Um, and that was when I started finding out about the stock market and doing lots and lots of reading and trying to figure out things. Um, so for a long time, I, I thought I'm going to be the smartest man in the, in the building and I'm going to be able to pick winning, winning shares. Mm-hmm. And I failed there as well. Um, I bought MTN just before it started going down at the time. And I bought Coronation Fund Managers, which shot up. So obviously I was a genius. And that went down. And I, I think I got out of that. Fortunately, I got back the money I put in. And I, there was a brief foray into Vodacom. Uh, and I figured out, you know, I'm not very good at this. No matter mm-hmm. how much time I spend reading balance sheets and, uh, you know, trying to go through uh, directors' minutes, meetings and things, there's no way I'm going to be smarter than people who do this for a living. And, uh, and the stock market is a zero-sum game. So for, for every winner, there's, an, there's another loser somewhere else. Um, uh, the only difference between, well, the only thing that makes it less than a zero-sum game is that there's fees involved. So, you know, for everyone who sells, somebody else is buying. So somebody's winning, somebody's losing. But mm. the brokerage is taking 0.25 or 0.4%, whatever they are. Uh, so then I realized I couldn't pick stocks. I tried to see which was the best unit trust in the company. So now I didn't think I was smart enough to pick stocks, but surely I can pick the people who can pick stocks. Um, and that went fairly well. I, <laughs> I picked one of the better companies, so that wasn't a, a big mistake. But um, it turned out they still weren't performing as well as the market on average. And uh, there's a, a lot of research that's gone into this. That most unit trust managers, 80% of them, in fact, actually don't quite make the market average. Um, so you need to be smart enough to pick one who's in the 20% and who's going to stay in the 20%. And that's the other problem is even the winners in the field aren't winners forever. Uh, eventually, the you know the market uh, averages out and people win and people lose. Um, so it was only after that that I finally got into ETFs. Um, I, did that, I did that the wrong way too. I invested only in South African ETFs and I tried to pick the ETFs that were doing the best, like the Satrix Indy back in the day. Um, and uh, then I realized, you know, you learn as you go along. And eventually I realized, look, I'm not smart enough to pick shares. I'm not smart enough to pick unit trust managers. I'm not smart enough to pick um, sectors, you know, industrial or property or whatever. And I, I'm probably not going to be smart enough to pick countries either. And that's when I finally ended up as in at the point I am today, which is buy as much of the world as you can for as cheaply as you can and just keep collecting it. And, and that's where I am today. Well, it's, it's great that you've given us such a rundown of your mistakes because I think it's so important to learn from other people's mistakes. If you, if that's how humans advance really is by learning <laughs> from the mistakes of the past. So, so it's great to get uh, that rundown of mistakes. It's great you can laugh about it now, now that you're, you've achieved yeah, financial yeah. freedom, you but, can look back and laugh. <laughs> yeah. The great thing is, is that when you are saving such a big chunk of your salary, um, in the beginning at least, that makes a really big difference. So then the returns don't matter quite as much. Um, but as time goes on, the returns start mattering more and more and more. And what you save matters less and less and less. Um, but yeah, if I could have gone back in time and uh, and started with the way I finished, or at least the way I, I invest now, I would be significantly wealthier than I am today. So if someone is listening to this show and it's one of their goals to um, to be financially independent and potentially retire early or retire at, at 60, um, 
Yeah. How do they measure that, whether they've got enough capital invested to stop earning an income? How do they measure that? It's uh, Look, it's very easy to do, actually. Uh, you take your monthly expenses and you multiply it by 300. So if you've got that amount of money invested, um, then you, you don't need to work anymore. So if you're spending 10,000 Rand a month and you've got 3 million Rand invested, you're done. You can stop working. Your investments will give you another 10,000 Rand a month forever. Um, in fact, um, you're probably quite likely to die a lot richer than when you stop working uh, if you work on that number of 300. So if you're spending 20,000 a month, you need to have 6 million. If you're spending 50,000 a month, you need to have 50, 15 million Rand. Mm. Um, so the, the rule of 300 is actually, it's based on something called the 4% rule. So the 4% rule says you can spend, uh, if you stop working now, you can spend 4% of your total amount of money for life and you're going to end up okay. Um, so 4% is 125th and, uh, and obviously there's 12 months in the year. So that's how you work mm. out to 300. Um, but I think the 300 times table is a lot easier to know uh, than, uh, than trying to work out 4% and then divide by 12. I also don't know what I spend in a, in a year. I can tell you what I spend in a month, but um, you know, I, don't, I don't like to, <laughs> to try and make the math harder than it needs to be. Yeah, exactly. Simple calculations. So everyone who's listening, if you know your monthly expenses, yeah. times them by 300. And when you get to that amount invested, you should be yeah. able to to retire. You, you're definitely able to. In fact, you could probably go a lot further. I mean, the 4% rule is something that they kind of accept all around the world. Um, but the, in South Africa, people tend to sort of lean more towards 6%. Um, I don't okay. think that's perfectly safe, but I think you can use 5%. Okay. Provided you can you can cut back in bad years or, or start earning a little bit more if, if things go completely pear-shaped. Uh, but the 4% rule is as good as can be in terms of uh, conservative enough to make sure that in virtually every case, you're going to be okay. Uh, the actual number in South Africa, the number that's never failed is actually 3.84%. So okay. even going through the Great Depression and all of that, 3.84% has never failed in South Africa. Very I think in America, it's just around 4, maybe 4.0 something. Um, but it works virtually anywhere in the world, except for Japan. Japan, for some reason, has had zero growth for Decades and decades and decades. Uh, but as a global average, 4% is going to, going to see you out okay. Hmm, that makes me feel comfortable. Uh, someone's looked at the data since <laughs> the Great Depression, which is, which is a and lot of data. Gone all the way back to 1900, yeah. yeah. And, and it's literally never failed. So. Hmm. And so what changes has financial freedom brought to your life, Patrick? <laughs> right. I mentioned earlier, I stress a lot less. You know, money doesn't worry me anymore. Um, I often say stress happens when you don't have any options mm -hmm. and uh, being financially independent is the ultimate money option. You know, if you, if you don't like your job, if your boss is completely out of hand, um, if you want to start a new venture, but it might be risky and you might not earn, uh, you might not earn a salary for months and months and months, you know, financial independence is the ultimate option. Um, you can also look at it the other way. You know, once you're financially independent, yeah, you can decide to spend more because your future is actually taken care of. So you technically don't need to save anything. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you want to carry on working when you reach financial independence, this is the time you've actually got a license to spend 100% of your salary if you want to. Um, before that, you don't. Before that, you've still got to reach your financial independence. Now, I've never wanted to spend 100% of my salary. In fact, I, I find it quite difficult to spend lots of money. But, 
you know, I did want to go on really nice overseas holidays. And uh, when I turned 40, I did want to hire a yacht and go sailing in Croatia. Mm. And uh, I would never have done that if I wasn't financially independent. Um, I would have gone on lots of holidays, but there would have all been quite a lot more budget. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things I did. Uh, so I do, I do tend to uh, enjoy spending money now when I'm earning a lot more than I did when I was saving. Then I was uh, trying my best to make sure I didn't, uh, I didn't overdo it. For me, it's, um, it was also about um, being able to start a business without putting the pressure on the business to generate an income for you for the first few years. Yeah. So um, I have a business in travel and obviously travel has been severely hit by COVID. But if I'd been in any yeah. other position, I would have had to you know, go back and, and look for a, a corporate job. But having, yeah. having that buffer just allows you to achieve different dreams. So it doesn't have to be a dream of, yeah. of stopping work. It can be whatever you want it to be, actually. Yeah, no, More choices. Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing is when you don't have, like you had some backing now when the whole world turned upside down. Generally, when things go wrong, it is when things go very, very wrong. You know? So if you were in travel now and you didn't have money to fall back on, mm. uh, you know, jobs were also cut, so it would have been much more difficult for you to find anything. Uh, exactly. So. Yeah, exactly. there's a huge benefit to, to having a nice bit of a cushion or a buffer behind you. Yeah, indeed. Um, financial freedom is is something that anyone can achieve. This has been said so many times, and, and I really believe it. So regardless of your income, what you're earning, you can yeah. achieve financial freedom because it's about living within your means. What advice do you have exactly. for people who whose goal is financial freedom? Yeah, Um Look, the first thing I think you need to do, and most people need to do, is figure out where their money is going. Um, so, uh, you know, I like to joke, a lot of people know exactly how much they spend every month because it's literally everything that hits their bank account. Um, but, uh, you know, knowing exactly where your money is going is, is a, good, uh, a good starting point. So I think most people spend all of their money, at least most of their money, on the big three, which is your house, which is obviously a big expense, a place to live. Uh, a car and debt. Now, debt is the worst one. So expensive debt is your priority. Uh, there's a famous blogger called Mr. Money Moustache, and he calls um, sort of high interest debt uh, a hair on fire situation. So, I mean, if you have debt and your hair is burning, your only priority is to put that fire out. Mm. And if that means living on beans and rice and two-minute noodles, you know, live on beans and rice and two-minute noodles. It means cycling to work, you cycle to work. Um, but if you've got no debt and you you managed to avoid that trap. I think uh, the next biggest expense for most people is actually their car. Um, it's even more of an expense than a house because uh, cars depreciate really fast and a house, you know, at least hold its value. Um, so, so my advice is always to, you know, buy as little car as you need. So buy a two or three-year-old ultra reliable, boring, uh, probably Japanese uh, sedan car and mm-hmm. then drive it forever. And uh, my current car is was built in 2004, I bought it in 2006, and it still gets me around perfectly. Mm. And it, it's literally saved me millions of rand. Yeah. Um, and then the house is obviously another big expense. Um, you need to first actually consider if you want to, if you need to own a house, because most people like to own a house because they think it's a, it's a good investment. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's not often a good investment. It might be a, a nice thing to have, but it's... Um, it is an expense, um, but uh, renting is definitely far cheaper than owning a house. Uh, you consider all the costs that come with the house. 
Um, but the, the main thing is that you need to make sure that if you're renting and not owning a house, that you are investing that difference. Um, it's also a lot easier. A lot of people buy their house. When they buy a house, they want their dream house. Um, so they're going to spend up on a, on a house. But when you're renting, you kind of only want a house that's going to sort of get you through the next couple of years. So people are willing to rent a cheaper house than they are to buy it, which is very, very odd. Um, but yeah, so those are the, the big expenses. And, uh, and that's my big tip is find out where your money's going and find out where you can cut back. Um, in terms of how much you earn, the, the maths that works out, you know, like the say 50% of your income and you're ready to retire, doesn't actually care if you earn 10,000 a month or if you earn 100,000 a month. Mm -hmm. If you can save half your salary, you're still going to reach the same point where, where your investments return that amount of money. So you don't need to think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not earning a lot, I'll never get there. Um, it's all about sort of uh, what percentage of your income you spend. So it doesn't need to be 50%. Um, but if you're only spend, if you're only saving 10% of your, your income, you're going to work for 53 years. Mm. Uh, so you do need to try and push that number up as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's great, great advice. While you were talking, I was just also thinking about uh, the, the home question, like buy versus rent. And if you have bought your <laughs> house, you can't actually put yeah. it in that um, in the uh, you can't count it in the 300 rule. So what I'm trying to say is, no. yeah, exactly. Because otherwise you need to count an expense, uh, the expense that you would have exactly. had. So if you're renting it's part of your expenses, but yeah. it's not capital invested. So it's not giving you a return. Yeah. So all of the people yeah. who own houses so, listening to us must exclude yeah. that calculation. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what owning a house does is it does reduce your expenses on a monthly basis. Mm. But it, it's, you've, you know, that money that uh, is in your house would have probably paid for those expenses anyway. So, yeah. But, yeah, you can't include it in your 300. Your 300 times uh, expenses must be your current expenses and your invested value in yeah. investments that are actually going to give you a return. So you could count a second house that you're renting out or something like that, but you mm -hmm. can't count your primary. Um, Patrick, if people want to uh, find you, where can they find you? Um, so I, I blog every now and then on the Investor Challenge. I've started, uh, I've stopped blogging recently. I'll pick it up again when I've got more time. Uh, but the, probably the best place to find me at the moment is on Twitter. Uh, so my Twitter handle is at uh, Travel Bug Bitten. Um, and I do, I, you know, I read uh, a lot of uh, posts on Twitter and I do post occasionally. And, uh, you know, if people send me an instant message, I do reply most of the time. Uh, the only caveat is that I won't do anything that looks like providing advice. Uh, South Africa is very strict on the, law, on the rules on who can provide advice and who can't. And I'm firmly in the category of people who can't. So, you know, everything I'm telling you today is just things that I do and things that I think, uh, but none of it is advice. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I Keep mean, things clear over there. Yes, people need to do their own research. It is certainly yeah, important. So don't to ask do me, exactly, don't ask me uh, where to invest my money or which companies or even which uh, ETFs and that. I can tell you what I'll do, but I'm never going to tell anyone else what, what they should do. Exactly. Exactly. So that's actually a good segue into my next and final question, which is what is the one piece of financial advice you want to pass on to your son? But in this case, we're not talking about <laughs> legal advice. We're talking about, okay, well, I can talk about parental I, advice. I can speak about, yeah, I can speak about my son because my son, I'm allowed to talk to him about these things. <laughs> um, 
So, so the one thing I want him to try and do, okay, look, if he can, if he can reach 50% uh, savings rates or saving half his income, I think that's, that's an ultimate goal. That's a great goal. But um, in terms of advice, I think my, my, my advice to him is going to be to try and avoid lifestyle inflation. Um, so, you know, when you, when you start out, you're, you're a student. Uh, I had a part-time job, so I was uh, working as a waiter for years. And I was earning 2000 a month, more or less, you know, depending on how many shifts I wanted to put in. And, and I went from that to earning 7000 a month as my first job as an entry-level programmer. Um, but what I'd learned, uh, you know, as being a waiter is I learned how to live on 2000 rand a month, you know, so it's, uh, it was a skill I had. And that meant that now I was earning, you know, three and a bit times that I could still live on that amount, uh, except buying the odd, uh, the odd pair of shoes or work clothes. But um, most people, when they get increased, the first thing they do is look at what they can spend it on. Do they want to buy a bigger, fancier car or do they want to buy expensive clothing or whatever? But if you can avoid that and you, you, know, you don't judge yourself according to what other people are going to think, then you're going to end up doing fairly well. You know, if you, you've decided, okay, I'm comfortable with X, Y, and Z in my life, uh, there's no need to change it just because you're all of a sudden earning more. And I think that's, that's the piece of advice I'm going to give you. I love answer, asking this question because I get such a variety of answers and I don't think I've had <laughs> this one before and it's, it's such an important one. It's advice, some, or not advice, but like a, a tip that somebody gave me um, uh, when yeah. I was starting out working is just try to avoid lifestyle inflation and that, that was huge because you, when you're yeah. a student, you can live with very little and if you can stay yeah. living yeah. with very little, that's, I mean, you're halfway there. Yeah, and it's amazing the sort of the early amounts you invest, you know, very early on in your life, how much it sort of pays off towards the end. You know, I mean, every every thousand rand you spend very early on, you know, is earning you tens of thousands, uh, you know, in 20, 30 years' time. Yeah. Really does help. Cool. Thank you so much for your time today on the Family Finance Show, Patrick. Happy to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. Visit elevate.co.za to get an obligation-free quote in just 30 seconds, or ask your broker about Elevate Life's market-leading offerings. Elevate Life is an authorized financial service provider, license number 50555. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay on the journey to improving your family's financial well-being.